Welcome to your afternoon, Rob Port 970, WDY AM 93.1 FM. Happy to be with you. We have got a busy show today. Yesterday, uh, a, a group has introduced to the North Dakota Secretary of State for approval for circulation a ballot measure that would be a full-on legalization of marijuana. Obviously, uh, North Dakota voters overwhelmingly approved a measure to legalize medical marijuana. The state of North Dakota is still rolling that out. And that was a complicated process. But this would be just a much more simpler legalization of marijuana. And, and not just a legalization of marijuana, though, too. Uh, it would legalize marijuana. It would treat, um, it would set the age at which you could begin using marijuana at 21. Uh, and it would treat those who, who violated that age restriction, whether it's it's kids smoking pot underage or uh, adults giving legal marijuana to kids underage, uh, would treat that as the equivalent crimes with alcohol, such as, you know, minor in consumption of alcohol or, or whatever that, that charge is. Uh, would treat them equivalently. Uh, but also, I, I think what's probably going to be a very controversial aspect of this, this ballot measure as well, uh, would retroactively go back and expunge people convicted of crimes involving marijuana that would be legal under this law and basically gives the court system 30 days to go back and expunge all those. Uh, we're going to talk with Josh Dreyer. He's a spokesman for the measure campaign uh, coming up at 1 o'clock. Also, Congressman Kevin Kramer is going to join us at 1.30 for his regular open phones town hall. Now, when he's on, you can call in ask him about anything. We don't have an agenda. Uh, he's on every week. Uh, it's time for you to ask questions. If you've got questions about what's going on in Washington, D.C., or anything related to his job at all, you can certainly ask him. 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. Um, as for the news, the, the you know, the, the, the Me Too uh, movement carries on. Pretty shocking names today, Natil. Were you surprised? Matt Lauer from the Today Show, uh, and now just before showtime, Garrison Keeler canned from Minnesota Public Radio, and they're even going to change the name of a Prairie Home Companion. Pretty shocking names, Natil. I mean, not two people, I guess, if I was asked to make a list of creeps in the media world, not two people that I would necessarily put anywhere near the top of my list. Yeah, I have to agree with you. Those those came out of nowhere for me. I was not expecting either of those to be names that came up in this whole thing. But at the same time, it's, you know... At this point in time, I'm willing to believe pretty much anything with the names that have come out and the people that are being accused. It's just it's another day, another scandal. I guess it just goes to show, I, I mean, our our public perception of these people is not necessarily the perception of them in real life. But, but even so, I mean, if you watched the Today Show announce it and, and who was it? It was it was Kathy Lee Gifford and somebody else. Right. Who was talking about it this morning on the Today Show, you know, making that announcement and, and essentially they were shocked about it, too. I mean, that, that was sort of the thing with, with the Today Show was the women who worked next to him were just sort of surprised with it. They were having a hard time reconciling what he's been accused of, of what they know of him. Now, these are people who have worked with him for a long time, for years, worked very closely with him. So even they're surprised by that in Matt Lauer's case. Uh, we still don't have a lot coming out on the uh, the Garrison Keeler case, although the interesting thing with him, Garrison Keeler was just just wrote a column that was published in the Washington Post ridiculing the idea that Al Franken should resign uh, for his escapades. Uh, and now, just days later, Garrison Keillor uh, himself going down and, and being fired by Minnesota Public Radio, although he is saying that um, you know it's, it's a more complicated issue than at first blush. I guess we'll get more details on that as they come out. 
Uh, the interesting thing with Matt Lauer is how quickly this happened. Matt Lauer just hosted coverage of the Thanksgiving Day Parade on Thursday. Um, and, you know, the, certainly from NBC's announcement, they're making it sound like these allegations just came to light and they acted immediately. But other journalists, including some working for the New York Times and some working for Variety, basically saying uh, they've been working on this story with Matt Lauer for a long time. That there had been accusations against him that were known for months. In fact, I was I was reading one reporter, uh, I believe he was from Variety on Twitter, saying essentially that that he was aware of claims from women uh, even before the Harvey Weinstein story. Right, that that was the big story that broke this all wide open. Uh, Ronan Farrow writing in the New Yorker uh, about Harvey Weinstein. That was the one that sort of broke broke the dam loose, and and everything else came spilling out even before that. They're saying that they were aware of women who who were afraid to go on the record because they were afraid of what Matt Lauer could do to them in his powerful position. I have a feeling now that he's been fired by NBC and now that he's not really in a position to take retribution, um, I have a feeling we we may hear more from those women as well. Uh, Just shocking. Just one after another. Hard to believe. Hard to believe at times. Just how widespread this is. Just how many people this has have been caught up in this, um, as we keep saying over and over again. I mean, I mean, at this point, Natil, it's almost—I don't want to say I'm tired of talking about it because I think it's important to talk about, and I don't want to belittle, you know, I don't want to belittle any victims or make it feel small or somehow because their, you know, their, their accusations have come out. What happened to them has come out later. That somehow it's less important than those that came out first. I don't want that to be the case, but. It's hard to even know what to say anymore about this. I mean, it's another day, more scandals. 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. So anyway, that's the news of the day. More scandal, more, yeah. Uh, about this ballot measure, let me ask this question. Would you vote for full-on legalization of marijuana? Would you vote for a ballot measure... That just made marijuana illegal. Or, excuse me, made it legal. 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. Uh, I, I got to say, I am for full-on legalization of marijuana. I've been critical of the medical marijuana ballot measure uh, when it passed. I didn't vote for it, but mostly that was because I thought it was so flawed uh, it was going to end up making it take longer for, for people to get medical marijuana. And I, and I, think, I'm, I think I've been exonerated on that. Um, I am for full-on legalization of marijuana. I think, you know, we could talk about, you know, living a fairy tale land where, you know, the North Dakota's medical or excuse me, North Dakota's marijuana prohibition laws are having an effect, right? We can live in a fairy tale land and pretend like uh, marijuana is not readily available in pretty much every community in the state. People who want to buy marijuana can buy marijuana. We're not really stopping anything. And I know what people say, well, you know, we don't stop murder with laws against murder, but nobody wants to legalize murder. Well, that's because murder is fundamentally robbing somebody else of their life. That's a much different act than smoking pot, right? Smoking pot, marijuana can be used responsibly. And I'm all for, you know, having legal consequences for people who use marijuana irresponsibly, just like we have all sorts of legal consequences for people who use alcohol irresponsibly. But the idea that we're stopping people from using marijuana is as absurd as thinking that prohibition stopped people from using alcohol. It's time to stop this. I think we should legalize full-on marijuana. And we'll talk with Josh Dreyer, who is the uh, heading up the committee 
to pass that measure later in the show coming up at 1 o'clock. But my question for you is, would you vote for it? Now, this particular measure, I think, does have some flaws, and I wrote about it today. Um, One flaw is it's really just a legalization. They don't do anything in terms of setting up, you know, um, you know, regulation for how it can be legally sold in the state. They don't set up any regulation for how it can be possibly be grown in the state. They don't do anything in terms of licensing to sell it. Nothing. They don't do anything like that. Um, I'm assuming that, you know, they would maybe leave a lot of that up to the legislature. If this passes, I suppose the legislature could backfill in some of those processes in the law. But I, I, I think what you run a, run a foul of, I, I would be fine with that sort of legalization. But the problem is at the federal level, marijuana is still illegal. Marijuana is still ranked in the same category as, uh, you know, opioids and heroin, frankly. So the idea that we're just going to legalize it here in North Dakota and the feds are just going to sit idly by and do nothing, I, I think that's, you know, I think that's asking for trouble. I think that's asking for the feds to step in and say, hey, wait a minute, uh, you know, it's this is still illegal. Also complicating this is that in some places where marijuana has been legalized, the federal government still considers it illegal for you to do things like own a firearm if you've been using marijuana, and it doesn't matter if it's legal under state law. As a matter of fact, there was a story, and I wrote about it at SayAnythingBlog.com, out of Hawaii, where law enforcement there is asking people participating in that state's lawful medical marijuana industry, asking them to voluntarily turn in their firearms because it's illegal to own them. Maybe that's a question we could talk about with Congressman Kevin Kramer later in the show because before we get to full-on legalization in North Dakota, we may need to figure out what we're doing at the federal level. Love to hear what you think. 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. Would you vote for a ballot measure legalizing recreational marijuana in the state of North Dakota? I want to hear from you. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Fortnite, 70 WDOI AM 93.1 FM. Uh, more news coming out now about Garrison Keeler. Uh, Minnesota Public Radio, we, we had the news before the show started. Minnesota Public Radio terminating its contracts with Garrison Keeler and his private media companies after they learned of allegations of his inappropriate behavior with an individual who worked with him. Um, apparently, they knew about this back in October. Uh, NPR has put out a statement. They said they were, quote, notified of the allegations which relate to Mr. Keeler's conduct while he was responsible for the production of a Prairie Home Companion. Uh, NPR President John McTaggart immediately informed the NPR board chair and a special board committee was appointed to provide oversight and ongoing counsel. Um, this is also from their statement. I quote, based on what we currently know, there are no similar allegations involving other staff. The attorney leading the independent investigation has been conducting interviews and reviewing documents, and the investigation is still ongoing. Uh, so that's that's where we are with that. Uh, 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329, email talk at WDAY.com. We're talking about uh, illegal or uh, legalizing marijuana, just full-on legalizing marijuana in the state of North Dakota. I'm for it, but but once again, I, I I think in order to get a good policy outcome with this, I, I want marijuana to be legal. I, I don't think we're gaining anything from the prohibition. 
I think it should be legal. I also think there's a right way to go about doing it. I'm not sure this ballot measure is the right way to do it. Um, Natil, what do you think? Have, have you seen what have you seen of this ballot measure? I know that you support medical marijuana. Do you support full on legalization? Do you support this ballot measure? I'm pretty neutral on the idea of full on legalization of of marijuana. I guess I feel if someone can have a cigarette or a bottle of beer legally, I don't see why marijuana needs to be treated differently. It's not any more harmful, at least in in my estimation and my knowledge, than either of those two legal recreational drugs. It's certainly not as harmful as, say, heroin or methamphetamine or other drugs that absolutely need to remain illegal. But at the same time, my only concern is that if if this comes to pass, how will that affect those that are trying to access medical marijuana? Is that going to change the tract for the medical marijuana proceedings here in the state? And is that going to further delay the access of people who actually need the medication to their medication. I wouldn't think it would. I mean, you'd think it would render all that moot. I mean, why go through all that rigmarole if you could just buy it like you buy a case of beer? Well, the because most of the people that want legal marijuana for medication purposes don't want to smoke it and get high. They want access to the things like the pills, the patches, the oils. Yeah. Well, I you, the I mean, basically, if you read the ballot measure, really all it does in terms of decriminalize, it just strikes marijuana out of the out of the statute, out of the statutes that criminalize it. That just strikes it out. So, I if if you wanted to bake marijuana into a brownie or something, uh, or make you know some of those other things that you're talking about, I, I I would think that that would still be legal. Now, I'm not a legal expert, but that's my reading of the measures. Well, it but just, again, it just it's, removes it's, that stuff entirely. It's no, not. For like for me personally, with fibromyalgia, I would be looking into possibly utilizing the the pain patches or the pills. Neither of which are things that I can just make at home. Yeah, like I can't make I can't make a medicinal marijuana pain patch at home. I I don't know I don't know that there's anything. I mean, this decriminalizes marijuana in North Dakota full on. So I don't know how, you know, if companies wanted to make those sorts of patches and sell them in North Dakota. Now, obviously, you know, there's a question of interstate commerce and the federal government and all that. But as far as state law would be concerned, if this ballot measure passed, stuff like that would be legal. You'd have to be 21 to buy it. But other than that, it's legal. Well, and like as long as as long as the this proposal doesn't interact negatively with the current ballot measure that we've already passed, and we're already working very hard on getting implemented here in the state. I'm I'm fine with it. Yeah. Well, I don't I don't think there would be an issue with because I mean by the time this gets on the ballot, I mean the earliest this could be on the ballot would be June of next year. Uh and even then, you know, it would it would take, you know, it would have to probably take a little while to be implemented. I mean, I so I you would have the medical marijuana implementation done or next to done. By the time this ever, and they're probably, it's probably going to be on the November ballot next year. So, you know, you're, you're, you're going to have probably medical marijuana in place by then. What do you think of the part that goes back and exonerate, like basically expunges from the record? If you were caught with, I, I, I don't know, a, a joint or something and you got busted for it, this goes back and expunges that from your record. What do you think of that? Now, that's interesting because I, I feel like for people that are using, marijuana in like small doses I can see where that would be 
that would be something fine. I mean, like, well, now it's legal here in the States, so people that, I don't like, two days before it became legal got caught or what have you. I, I can see where that might be a good yeah. deal. See, but this the goes same- back... This goes all the way back. Yeah, I mean, and this, I'm, this... I'm not sure. I'm not sure how far back it should go, and I'm also not really sure that I like the idea of exonerating and expunging the records of the dealers. Well, there were there were just two kids up at the University of North Dakota who were caught with like pounds of marijuana. Like, I, was it like sixty pounds? It was a lot. It was a lot of marijuana. I don't know if it was sixty pounds. I forget the exact number. Dozens of pounds <laughs> of marijuana. Um, you know, w- would they get, they would get exonerated by this, I think. I mean, barring other crimes that I guess they may have committed or may have been charged with, at least in terms of the marijuana, under this, under this ballot measure, owning 60 pounds of marijuana would not be illegal. See, and I'm, I'm not sure how, how I feel about that, because in, in a lot of cases, the dealers aren't necessarily just dealing in pot or, you know, or I don't, I don't know. I don't like the idea of making it easier on the dealers i think i think there's an argument to be made i mean even if you change the law there's still an act like you broke the law previously when it was illegal why should you get off because we changed the law later you know what i mean like there's still there's still sort of a rule of law question there like like do we do we still want to promote respect for the law do we still want to promote the rule of law and not go back and say, well, if we change our minds on the law later, then we're gonna we're just gonna ignore that you broke the law previously. I mean, it's still you made a decision to break the law. Well, however, the rest of us feel about marijuana, and again, I think it should be legal, and I think plenty of people, good, good people, are already using it and smoking it or eating it or doing whatever with it. Um, you know, I I don't know. I I mean, I I think that's an interesting question, and I I think it's gonna be. I kind of wish they hadn't included that in the ballot measure because I think it's going to end up being a distraction. I think we're probably going to spend more time talking about that exoneration than we are the question of legalizing marijuana full on. Yeah, and that's probably going to, if anything tanks it, it'll probably be that. Yeah. And then there's also the question of what are we going to do about the feds? Because, again, you know, if you look at places like Colorado, when they have legalized marijuana, they put in place, you know, a whole lot of regulations about how it can be grown, how it can be sold, who can buy it, where it can be, you know, all, all these regulations on how all that had to come out. Um, this does none of that in North Dakota. What What's the federal government going to think of that? I think that's a valid question to ask. 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. Rundown, coming up next. I'll go away. The Rob Report. The Rob Report. On 970 WDAY. The Rundown. All right, Natil, let's hit it. All right, well, up first in the news, obviously, Matt Lauer fired from NBC. Yeah, I I, I don't even know why I put this in the rundown, um, other than it just, we, we just, We know. just can't get away from it. I mean, every single day, it's like there's a brand new scandal out there, and who's it going to be tomorrow? Yeah, because we know it's good. We know it's going to be somebody else tomorrow. Am I? I and I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to be partisan or, or bring politics into this. I am surprised so far that it's it's mostly been on the left. Like like a lot of this is mostly on the left right now. I mean, whether it's Harvey Weinstein, who is obviously a very very left wing guy, Garrison Keillor, very left wing guy. 
uh, Matt Lauer, the uh, journalist, but I'm certainly sure, not sure he, anybody would describe him as a conservative. Um, Al Franken, John Conyers, uh, you know, and I've said all along, I, I don't, I don't think there's anything inherent to being a Democrat or a liberal or anything that makes you more likely to, to do this sort of thing. I think it more has to do with power dynamics and, and unfortunately being male, but it's interesting to me that, that, and I don't even want to say early going, cause this has been going on for what months now that it's, it's mostly been the left. I don't. I don't know what to think about that. I'm I'm waiting for it to drop on on Republicans too. Well, I guess I have I have a small theory about this, okay. and it's it's largely in that Hollywood is sort of seen as this liberal bastion. Yes. And, oh, it is. I mean, it is. Well, but, yes, but it's it's viewed that way as much as being that way. Right. And when everything started coming out against Harvey Weinstein. I think because in a lot of these cases, like in the cases of, of Garrison Keeler and Matt Lauer, for example, it sort of sounds like the companies involved here kind of knew what was going on and were dealing with it internally, quietly. And then everything started coming out against Harvey Weinstein and we saw a lot of fallout in how how Hollywood was handling things. It was obviously decided that Hollywood wasn't handling things harshly enough. They weren't right. handling things swiftly well, enough. Well, they were basically allowing them to throw money at it. Like, exactly. Threw money exactly. At it, the people signed a non-disclosure and went away. And so now I think these other fairly liberal companies, these other fairly liberal people, are looking at that situation and saying, "Okay, we can't we can't do that same thing. We can't appear to be doing that same thing." And yeah. so now, the, like, all the shoes are dropping because all of this sort of behind the scenes, we're going to handle this quietly and deal with it and move forward. It, it, it isn't going to work anymore. Right. And it's, I mean, and I, want, I don't want to make it sound like it's been entirely on the left. Obviously, Bill O'Reilly, um, you know, even before yeah. the Weinstein thing, I mean, O'Reilly was out there. Um, Donald Trump has had accusations against him, although he has largely evaded consequence for them. Um, probably because it came, I mean, they came out and were explored, explored pretty thoroughly during the campaign and it just didn't seem like voters cared. And that's probably a topic for a whole show we could talk about, but that is what it is. Roy Moore, obviously being another one on the right, but I don't know. It's just sort of, I, I don't know. That's, that struck me. And again, I don't want to make it partisan. I'm not saying that one political ideology has is, you know, the moral high ground when it comes to this. I, I think this is more a human thing. And uh, it's it's ugly. And, yeah, I mean, you wonder where it's going to end. I mean, every day you wake up wondering what's what's going to be the headlines today. Matt Lauer surprises me. Uh, Garrison Keeler surprises me. Garrison but... Keeler surprises me even more than Matt Lauer. And Matt Lauer shocked me. So, yeah. well, I guess we'll see what's next. What's 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 next on the, uh, next? on the rundown? We're going we're gonna to move away from sexual assault Thank allegations. Uh, Reno gunman opens fire at high rise with links to Las Vegas shooter. Yeah, this was interesting uh, it's, because it's interesting to me the way the Las Vegas shooter. And by the way, nobody was hurt, right? As, as far as I know, somebody opened fire. I don't think he hit anybody, though, did he? No, 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 no. So basically he opens fire, but that connection to the Las Vegas shooter, it's interesting to me how the Las Vegas shooting has sort of faded from the headlines, and we still don't really know why the guy did it. No, we, we really don't. There's There wasn't a good answer, and everybody wanted to know. I mean, I can't 
I can't imagine people not wanting to know when there's that much loss of life, when it's when there's that much destruction and carnage, you want to know why it happened. Yeah. I I mean I personally I think that's the most I think that's the most important question. I mean a lot of times all the debate turns towards well, we should ban bump stocks or we should ban guns or we should implement this gun control policy. And as I've said, I, I think all that's a waste of time. I think I think a much more productive use of our time is to look at each specific case and say, why did this person do this? What motivated them to get to a point where they wanted to do this? I think that's much more productive because you're never going to eliminate the tools of mass destruction, whether they're guns or a rented truck or pressure cookers or whatever, homemade bombs. Whatever it is, you're never going to implement the, the tools of, of mass destruction from society. Not if we want to live in a free society. You're just not going to be able to do it. So I think it's much more important to address why people are doing this and look if there's if there's things we can do in terms of public policy or as a society to address that. The connection here is, and I, I think it's just that connection, maybe tenuous as it is, that this guy oh, apparently owned some sort of a property. Now, now was the Reno shooter, like, in the apartment was he just near was it a so the 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 links to this lot to the las vegas shooting are basically in how how it happened um a a gunman who is only being described right now as a as as a young adult uh was up on the eighth floor of a luxury high-rise condo building and was uh shooting down onto the streets below and so it's that that sort of high position coming down on the people in right. the streets that sort of connects him to the Las Vegas shooter who acted very similarly and in a way that other than I guess the the bell tower shooting incident on what which campus was that uh University of Texas wasn't it in yeah. Austin yep. yeah and so I th- I think those are the this is one of the only incidents that I've really heard about like that yeah I wonder if it's just a copycat situation. I don't know. Who knows? All right, what's next? ESPN lays off approximately 150 behind-the-scenes employees. Bad news yeah, for people like me. Yeah, I don't think I don't think that's the end of it either. And and but nor do I think. I, I think there's a tendency to look at what's happening at ESPN and think it's like the end times. Really, I I think it's just an industry in transition. You know, the way people access news about sports is changing. ESPN's model is anachronistic, increasingly so. Um, and I, th- I think ESPN has tried to survive the transition by changing the nature of their content, becoming much more political. Uh, and I just don't I don't know that that's helping. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of people blame what's happening at ESPN on their politics. And certainly I find it a turnoff. I have a hard time watching ESPN programming because of it. Because I think it's obnoxious and distracting and not really what I turn to something like ESPN for. But I don't think that's the reason for the declining. I think that's ESPN trying to save itself, right? I think they're trying to do something different in, in, in hopes of retaining viewers. But I think really what's going on is you can watch, you know, you, you have YouTube, you have Twitter, you have Facebook to watch sports recaps. They're just, it's just not the same. I mean, ESPN used to be this sort of tentpole of sports coverage right this very monolithic entity and they're just not you know it's the the media has proliferated uh in the sports world as much as anywhere else and that's created a situation where espn's business model is not sustainable now, i think espn's going to survive 
they're just going to look very different. And they are trying. I mean, they're, they're trying a lot of web streaming. They're trying a lot of other things. That's going to be their future. But, you know, the, the future where, you know, they're making all their money off cable subscriptions isn't going to last, especially given how many people are abandoning cable. I haven't had cable television in 10 years. Yeah, uh, I, I haven't had cable in a very long time either, honestly. But what, what saddens me most about this story is that there's, it since October of 2015, so in about the last two years, give or take a couple of months, ESPN has laid off 550 employees. And 450 of those have been the people that work behind the scenes, that do the tech-related things, the stuff like I do. <laughs> here at the station and i i feel so i feel so strongly for those people because they're so underappreciated and underthanked yeah. in general because yeah. it's it's those people that make oh sure radio stations tv stations all of the, yeah. the online programming that you watch it's those people that make that stuff happen that's absolutely true i mean when you listen to this station for instance you hear me you hear jay thomas you hear mike mcfeely you hear a lot of us who are on air you don't hear from the people who keep everything working like you don't know those people's names. You don't you don't hear from them very often. And even if you know my name, I mean I mean not not the if, least like like the producer, like the, but even even around Natil, there's a lot of people that keep everything running. Thank heavens for our engineers because if, exactly. if if something explodes on this board, I can't fix that, but I can exactly. call the engineers. So that's that's sad. And uh, but the thing is it happens in any industry, right? I mean automation I know, and so manufacturing, it's it's hard, and, and that may be, I mean, we talk about high, and I don't want to get off on a whole other thing, but, I mean, we talk about higher education. I mean, I think that's the future of it. I mean, it used to be you got all your education when you were young, and then you worked one career your whole life, and you retired. And I don't think it's going to be like that. I mean, I think you're going to have to prepare for a lifetime of learning to be able to adapt to a market that's going to be evolving faster than ever before. Um, if you want to be able to land on your feet, you've got to be able to continue learning your entire life. Um, maybe that sounds daunting or intimidating, but I think that's what the modern economy is going to require. All right, what's next? Last up, scientists are calling for a global glitter ban to save the environment. Wait, a ban on glitter, G- like the this part. This part. I'm, I'm, I'm just a little. I don't understand glitter. What's the problem with glitter? Uh, it's comprised of small plastic particles, and those particles get into the ocean and the environment where small animals will eat it, and that moves up the food chain just like any other microplastic. Well, aren't they eating other? I mean, are they eating like sand? Sand is basically like glass. Uh, what? Well, why why is glitter different than like sand or dirt or any of the other little things that are out in nature? Uh, microplastics are known to not just pollute the oceans, but uh, they, oh, I'm trying to find where it, this article talks about that. Your article is failing me. Um, I, it's, it's, I think it has to do with the fact that it's, it's a microplastic yeah. as opposed, and be, because plastics, I mean, plastics aren't intended to be consumed. They weren't intended to be, con- intended to be consumed by any part of the food chain. Well, neither is sand, but it exists well, and most <laughs> people don't. Start chewing on it. Well, no, but the you you yourself are not consuming the plastic or the sand, but right. the fish in the ocean who are you know consuming the smallest parts of the food chain are, and that moves up yeah. the food chain. I don't know. This sounds like clickbait. You sound like clickbait. Microplastics. The EPA is going to start regulating strip clubs. That's what's going to happen. Well, micro, microplastics have been a thing that have been talked about as far as ocean pollution and things like that are concerned for, for a very long time. And you can actually get biodegradable glitter. 
So how banning much glitter is how much glitter is being used? Where's glitter outside of like strip clubs? Where who's it, well, using it's, glitter? It's used in craft products and in like parades and things like that. You, you put it on clothing items. There's like glitter on clothes. But I think what's what's a much bigger problem and what the article also mentions is um, microbeads that come in things like uh, facial cleansers and makeup and such, which is another kind of a microplastic. All right. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll stay tuned to this breaking story. Let's wrap it up. You're listening to AM 970 WDAY 93.1 FM. This is The Rob Report. And that's The Rundown. Welcome back, Rob Report 970 WDY AM 93.1 FM 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDY.com. Tweet me at Rob Port. Uh, add another one to the list for today. Wait a second. Do, do we have from... to add more? Richard Branson? Did you did were we aware that he was on the list? The billionaire Richard Branson? No. I don't remember. This article's from this is from CNN Money. This is dated November twenty seventh, though. Yeah, That's two Jay days was just, ago. Jay was just talking in my ear that it, yeah, it came out like two days ago. I just that one slipped through the cracks on me. <laughs> yeah, me too. I, I, it's just, wow. I, I mean, it makes you wonder: is there going to be anybody left? There's going to be nothing left but women, like on television, in the media. <laughs> women on television, women in Congress. Maybe, maybe something will get done. Hey, <laughs> I, I couldn't I couldn't help myself. I'm sorry. You know, I, there, there, I think there is danger in, in sort of I don't want to call it recency bias, but I think there is danger because we're being flooded with this. Right. We're, we're being flooded with it. But yet, even even with his number, as, as many as accusations that have come out about very powerful people, it's still a small number of of the men who work in these industries. Right. And. Again, I, I think a lot of the dynamic here is the power that, that came with them. But, you know, I, at the end of it, it's still going to be a small number. It feels like a lot now, and it is a lot because it's one after another after another. But I, I just I, I don't like this idea where people are starting in on all men or all, you know, you start making blanket statements like that. That's unfair. That's unfair. You know, some of the men have done this. It's it's unfair. Is if we we painted all teachers or all female educators based on you know the the steady stream of of news stories about female teachers having sex with their students, right? Uh, you know we we don't use that to tarnish all women. We don't use that to tarnish all educators. Let's just how about we just hold the people responsible for this stuff responsible, and that's that. Although I, I do think it's worth talking about the power dynamic and the gender dynamics. A lot of that stuff's got to change. Hopefully it is going to change. And hopefully the upshot of, out of all of this is that we start talking about victims coming out when this stuff happens. I, I think that's that's the most important thing. I think that's the most important thing is that you speak out contemporaneous to when this stuff happens. Here's a list we can add. Uh, the showrunner for Supergirl and The Flash, a guy named Andy Kreisberg, uh, fired by Warner Brothers Television after sexual harassment claims. So there's one we can add to the list for today, Natil. Three. 
Although he's pretty, I don't know. I don't know if a lot of people know who that guy is. Not that it matters. He's, he's not. He's not as big of a name, but it's you know, it's still someone in the <sighs> One media. After another, after another. All right. In the next hour, we're going to talk with Josh Dreyer. He is a spokesman for the ballot measure legalizing marijuana. This is a full-on legalization. This isn't medical marijuana. This is just if you want pot, you can get pot. You think it's a good idea? You think it's a bad idea? We'll talk with Josh. He can answer your questions. After the break, this is the Rob Report on 970 WDAY AM 93.1 FM. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Don't let me hear you say lights taking you nowhere. Welcome back, Rob Port here on 970 WDAY, 93.1 FM. 701-293-9000, that's your local number. 888-970-9329, that's your toll-free number. You can email me too, talk at WDAY.com. We were talking about it earlier in the program, and now we're going to talk with the organizer for the ballot measure. His name's Josh Dreyer. The measure is one that would legalize marijuana in the state of North Dakota Period. Not medical marijuana, just legalized marijuana. You want to smoke pot? You can smoke pot. Basically going to make it. You have to be 21. It's basically going to make It's basically going to turn marijuana into alcohol in some ways. Except, I, I don't know, my reading of it is the sale of alcohol would probably still be more regulated under this ballot measure than the sale and use of marijuana would be. Or at least the sale of marijuana. Anyway, our guest, Josh Dreyer. Josh, welcome to the program. Happy to have you on. Well, thanks for having me. Good to be here. Tell us about uh, the measure. What are you trying to accomplish? Well, basically, after the catastrophic medical debacle that we had at the Capitol, I felt that I had no choice to pursue this. It's, you know, aside from the sick not being able to get their medicine, it's already been pushed back a year. Who knows if it's going to get pushed back another year? What this bill will actually do, will it'll allow the sick to get their medicine. It'll allow them to take their medicine while they wait for uh, the capital to figure out what regulations and and hoops they want them to jump through. Is, is it? I, I mean, we could have a debate about the medical marijuana measure because, uh, trust me, the ballot measure had plenty of hoops to jump through as well. I, I my problem oh, with I, the medical I, marijuana. I'm not denying that. My my problem with the medical marijuana measure was that it was too bureaucratic even as it was designed as the ballot measure. But but setting that aside, this is full-on legalization, right? So this is this is everything. Like if you want to sell pot brownies, if you want to sell uh, – Natil was talking about getting patches, I, I guess. And maybe, Natil, you could say more about that. But, but patches, I guess, that have some sort of a cannabis-based medicine, all of that would be legal under your measure, Josh? Anything that is inside marijuana or is marijuana will be legal. We're ending the prohibition on on the uh, on the plant. I, I want to ask you, yeah, I, and, and I, I like that. I, I really do. Um, as as just an isolated as a principle, I think marijuana should be legal. I, I think we should just regulate it, it. Buying pot should be as easy as buying a case of beer. That's what I think. Um, Definitely. Now that being said, there are certain legal realities to, to the situation when states like California or Colorado have gone about legalizing marijuana to one state or another, the way they've done it is very carefully and with a lot of regulation on 
you know, how it could be grown, how it can be, you know, sold, how it can be used. Basically, lots and lots of regulation, not unlike what we did with medical marijuana here in North Dakota. And a big reason why they did that, and and I think, frankly, a reason why the state of North Dakota is taking so long to, to roll out the final finalized medical marijuana rules is because the federal government is watching. And the federal government, like it or not, still considers marijuana to be an illegal narcotic. And as a matter of fact, I talked with U.S. Attorney Chris, Christopher Myers about this issue not so long ago, maybe a month or so ago. You know, and, and he said in their eyes, you know, they very much see it as their job to, to enforce the law. Now, there is a federal memo from the Obama administration, you know, setting out certain guidelines, of, you know, for, for state level medical marijuana laws that they want states to meet in order to to keep the federal government from cracking down. Because that's the thing is we can pass all the state laws we want. That doesn't stop federal law enforcement for busting you for having pot or selling pot or growing pot or whatever. So. Are you worried? Well, we do because... have a loophole around that. Okay. We do. So there's uh, what they call an Article 5 convention. So all it takes is 39 states that have legal wow. marijuana or even legal recre- or, uh, medical recreational, doesn't matter. If these, st- if these states bind together, hold an Article 5 constitutional uh, convention, we could change the federal law without the feds even, right. without any influence from the feds. Okay. That, they that have seems, no choice. It, it seems unlikely because if you guys get your signatures, you know, the earliest you can have it, I think if you get your signatures in by sometime in February, you can have it on the June ballot. If you get them in sometime in July, you can have them on the November ballot yeah. next year. We're, we're seems... going to be on the November ballot. You're going to be on the November ballot. Okay, fair enough. Uh, it seems unlikely that we're going to have a, con- a convention of the states and amend the state, the, the, the national oh, constitution. It, this is something that would be much farther down the road. But the idea is the major- the more states that come on board with this, the easier it will be for us as a country to change the federal laws. Yes, but are you are you ten years away? Are are you worried though? In the interim, if we pass your measure within you know by by next November, if voters pass it, are you worried that that's going to provoke the federal government into cracking down here in North Dakota? Um, I really don't. Um, I know that our attorney general uh, wants to crack down on it. Like you said, there is there is protections in place. Um, as far as I know, it would it would take a House or a Senate to to reverse those those protections. I just you know I just I really to me on a national level this is going to be a very tricky situation because there's a lot of states that have already got it. Um, they have Republicans and Democrats in those states. I don't see Republicans going against it in their own state. At least I haven't seen anything too open about it yet. But it, it's just a, it's basically a mob thing, you know, mob rule. You get all these states that are for it. We can make it federally legal. But I honestly, I think the feds will probably, if it even gets close to that point, the fed will probably go ahead and uh, legalize it themselves before being forced. We got a but, caller. You know, that's speculation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I think that's got to be the question for a lot of voters, though. Is is you're asking them to make a decision? on on a ballot measure and and we don't necessarily know what how the feds are, are going to react to that and again i i think marijuana should be legal but i think it's fair to wonder you know what what's what's the state of north dakota's relationship with the federal government going to be at that point caller darren you're up hey rob uh, yeah sick. i can't believe the federal government's going to be very involved with enforcing marijuana laws if north dakota legalized it they, they've got 
a lot more in their place than that, and nobody's really done anything well. with the states that have it legal now. Uh, and, you know, Canada voted recreational marijuana legal. I think it's going into effect in June. You know, we're going to be surrounded. It, it's coming. It's, they've, they've, they've got to realize that it, it's coming, and they're, they're going to have to face it. Yeah. No, I, I, I don't disagree. I, I just think it's fair to ask, you know, is there a way, is this ballot measure the right way to legalize it? C- could we legalize it in a way? Cause, cause Josh, and thanks for the call, Darren. Josh, there really aren't a lot. You're really not putting a, in place a lot of regulations. When I read your ballot measure, I see you take mentions of marijuana out of the criminal statute. You, you cross those out. You essentially make the penalty for underage use of marijuana or distribution to people who are underage equivalent to using or distributing to alcohol to people underage. Uh, and then, that's it. In terms of buying and selling marijuana, that's that's really all your ballot measure does. Well, I want to talk about the exoneration thing in a moment, but there's really no regulations on, you know, how stores can sell it, how they can purchase it, where it can be grown. Are you expecting, like, the legislature to fill a lot of that in? Well, there is going to be things that the legislature will have to do. I mean, tax rate, like the things you, you said. Um, we don't want to exclude the legislators from doing their job. This is just one avenue that they have not been able to succeed in in accomplishing. Once we set this in, you know, that, that's what the bill's written in certain specific ways. We've closed down holes that we know we don't want them to touch. And then there are things left open for them to work on. It's for productivity. I mean, we want the legislators to do their job. We want them to make North Dakota the best legal marijuana state. But to do that, we have to legalize it first. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329, email talk at WDAY.com. Tell me about, because the other thing I think is going to be very controversial about this is the part where you're going to go back and expunge the record for past convictions for marijuana charges. Tell me about that. Okay, so expungement and, and pardons are completely different. Basically, the expungement would seal the record. So it's not going to affect a lot of cases from far back, it's definitely not going to affect any minors that have cases. The expungement will only basically take it away from your record of what we've made legal. So say pending cases would definitely be affected by it. If you have a pending possession charge, things like that, that then yeah, that might get that might keep you from going to jail, things like that. This is not releasing people from jail. I mean, we're not going to be able to release mass amounts of people. And and the expungement doesn't do that anyway. Okay, so how, how is it though it could come off? So if if I get uh, there, there are two students up at the University of North Dakota that just got arrested for having pounds and pounds of marijuana. I imagine they're facing charges that could potentially put them in jail for years. Um, now they are obviously innocent until proven guilty, and their case is going to be adjudicated. But let's say hypothetically. They get convicted. They get years in jail. You're saying your ballot measure doesn't let them out of jail? How old are they? Well, they're That's they're adults. Matter. They're they're adults. They're they're at they're at the University of North Dakota. They're adults. They're right, but are they above the age of 21 or below the age of 21? That that will play a huge role. In it. Yeah, but it, it, if they're below the age of 21, your ballot measure says it's a charge equivalent to like minor in consumption or minor in possession. Right. So, like I said, the expungements will be based off what we've made legal. Um, if yeah, if their case is pending by the time this legalizes and there's no other charges, it's just being in possession of a bunch of pot, then, yeah, I, I could say that they would uh, probably benefit from this. 
Okay, so so people, if somebody's in jail for like five years for some sort of marijuana charge, and it's just a yeah, marijuana we, charge, you're saying it doesn't let them out of jail? Right. The expungement wouldn't. No. No. Now, see, the thing is, the expungement doesn't override like, I guess the words convictions. I'm not quite sure how that works, but uh, basically, what I do know is that the the way uh, the way David wrote it, it basically. Yeah, it doesn't go back and just five years ago and let you out. A lot of drug charges are also tied with other charges. Right. I mean, so this is going to be something that the uh, that definitely the attorney general's office and the uh, district attorneys they're going to have to you know figure this out. Yeah. Oh uh, well. Yeah, I think that's true. Caller Joe, you're up. Uh, I, I want to weigh in on this because you know I've been smoking for almost fifty years now. And the whole time marijuana has been legal, illegal. Now all of a sudden they want to make my smoking illegal, but make marijuana legal. Now, I don't understand that because people say, oh, when we're around the smoke, it smells so bad. Have they ever been around a, a joint when somebody lit up? I have, and it's, it's a terrible smell. And, and they complain about, well, secondhand smoke is so bad for my health. Well, what about a secondhand high if you have to be standing around somebody that's smoking? Uh, well, I, you know, I, I, I'm not sure. I listen, I understand your frustration. Thanks for the call, Joe. I understand your frustration with tobacco, but I, I don't think that we should say, I don't want to turn this into a situation where it's like tobacco versus marijuana. I think we've probably gone overboard with some of the tobacco policies, but that's neither here nor there when it comes to marijuana, which is different. Um, but I, I guess that is an interesting question. I would imagine. I wonder if our existing tobacco prohibitions would apply to marijuana. But marijuana is not tobacco. Can you light up a joint? If this, if this passes, can you light up a joint in a restaurant? Barring if they're, as long as the restaurant doesn't kick you out, I suppose. So well, here's the thing with that. And, and, you know, we want it to be up to city ordinances and communities. You know, the cities will determine where you can and cannot smoke. And I'm, I'm, we're all completely fine with that. We, we have no problem with our state doing what they need to do to implement it. Um, we try to make it as easy as possible. But like I said, the, the states are going to have to work, the cities. It's, I think it's, to me, I think states' rights trump federal in, influence. I, I agree. That's my, own, that's my opinion. But I agree. Unfortunately, the really feds have a, a different idea. Issue. It's, it's really a city's rights issue. I mean, everyone's going to have to figure it out for what's good for them. What's good for this city might not be good for another city. But we have uh, elected officials to handle that. Real, real quick question. Emailer asks: Ask this gentleman why the fixation on legalizing marijuana? Uh, legalizing marijuana. Why is it such a big push to legalize something that is probably a stepping stone to more and harder drugs? If they did it for medical use, why do they all want to sit around stoned all day? <laughs> well, there's a little bit of, uh, I think, propaganda tied into that question, but um, you know, it's. It's about prohibition. It's about making something legal that is safer than alcohol. Um, you know, it's who gets to pick and choose what we get to do as a society. It's about freedom, liberty, and we should not be regulated because of some archaic law back in the 30s. Um, it is very undisputable that alcohol is worse for you, but yet it's glorified in a way. So I think the push is right now and what we're seeing is this, the normalization of pot. That's what's happening in society. And as you know, I mean, that's what 
controls the driving force of everything we do. Well, I, I think I think that's a good point. Uh, thanks for the thanks for uh, being on the show, Josh. Certainly appreciate oh, it, you. and looking forward to uh, this discussion unfolding. Anytime. Thank you very much. We'll be back right after this. Rob, report nine seventy WDY AM ninety three point one FM. Don't go away. Rob Report, 970, WDAY AM, 93.1 FM, 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329, email talk at WDAY.com. Uh, we should have Congressman Kevin uh, Kramer joining us here in a moment. Uh, I, and you know, one of the questions I want to ask him when he's on is about marijuana policy at the federal level, because that seems like a hugely complicated part of the state level debates that we're trying to have and it seems to me no matter what side of this debate you're on whether you're for legalizing it or against legalizing it whatever the complicated factor is the feds uh think it should still be illegal so that's actually congressman i first of all welcome to the program thanks for your time as always thank you i wanted to ask you earlier in the program we had on the uh the organizer of a ballot measure here in north dakota to do a full-on legalization of of marijuana now previously voters approved legalization of medical marijuana and the state's still rolling you know working on rolling that out now this measure if if it ends up being approved would be obviously just a legalization of recreational use i i think a complicating factor though is the fact that the federal government still views marijuana as illegal and I think a lot of the, the problems we have, for instance, with medical marijuana, I think a lot of the complication in implementing that policy is trying to do so in a fashion that doesn't invite the wrath of the federal government. Um, ha- have you thought about this at all? I mean, sh- should this just be a state-level policy? I mean, what, what, what is your thoughts on, on yeah. the federal prohibition of marijuana? Yeah, great question, Rob. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm such a prude that if I could roll back you know, time we wouldn't we wouldn't have booze. In fact, in many respects, I think alcohol has become a a worse drug for our culture than marijuana would be. But all of that said, um, you you point to the complicating factor, and that is that there's a federal prohibition on it. And you know, at the same time, it's not like the federal government's really enforced that on states who have chosen to ignore it either. And, and it, but it's become clumsy, obviously. So I guess I'm you know I don't have a I don't have a policy position at this point. I will tell you, I was—I've been a co-sponsor of legislation that's that's a, um, advocated for the VA as a as a possible, um, you know, experimenting ground, if you will, on medical marijuana as to how to maybe do it. Now, I don't know why I would trust the VA to do that, other than we get a lot of requests from veterans, um, and uh, and the VA could provide an incubator, if you will, for for medical marijuana and how it ought to be, you know, used and regulated, but. Um, I'm a, I have a hard time supporting the recreational use of marijuana. Do you think, I mean, as, obviously as, as conservatives, we talk a lot about states' rights and thinking mm-hmm. that state policy, you know, policy is best made right. at the state level. Is this an instance, because I mean, there's a lot of states that are having this debate and are legalizing it in a lot of different ways to a lot of different degrees. North Dakota has joined that debate. But I, I think it's really hard for to have this debate at the state level when we're, we've got this uncertainty 
at the federal level. I mean, yeah, we're, we're sort of relying on federal forbearance for now that they're not going to enforce it, but that doesn't mean that future administrations wouldn't. Well, yeah, and it's not the way to legislate, obviously. I mean, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's okay to put up a rebe- rebellious bill every now and then to maybe make a point or maybe even to, you know, to push the to push the ball downhill a little bit and see if you can't make it change at the federal level. Maybe it's time that we did that and leave it up to states and let the marketplace decide, and, and who knows. But I, I will tell you this, Rob. I mean, it's my, been my observation that the uh, tolerance of marijuana as a recreational drug has grown you know, dramatically in recent years uh, to the point where I think we pretty much have a generation that sees nothing wrong with it, and, and maybe I'm the prude in all of this. But... Um, you know, so I, my, I guess my view is that we're we're moving that direction. Whether or not, you know, at what point does it come to a federal law change, or you know, just acquiesce in the states? And uh, certainly, from a philosophical standpoint, I I don't mind the idea of states making that determination, but I'd be disappointed in mine if we did. We got a caller, John. Go ahead. Good afternoon, Congressman. Hi, John. I'll tell you, you know, I'm in Kentucky right now on vacation, and it's 68 degrees. <laughs> okay. And tomorrow I'm going to start working my way home again, and I have to go across Illinois. And I'll tell you, I've, oh, I'm oh. annoyed because as a concealed yeah. carry holder, yeah, I have yeah, to I, I have to case my weapon to get out to an ATM to get out to get fuel for my vehicle, mm-hmm. and I'm left utterly defenseless. And with the elections now being just under a year. What I'm asking myself as a concealed carry holder, you know, I'll tell you, Illinois just chaps my hide because my uncle lives there. There's other states who will recognize Illinois' permit, but Illinois recognizes no one's permit, nor their right to self-defense. And what I want to know is what it's going to take to get this Concealed Carry Reciprocity Act to move forward. Are we going to have to start looking at recruiting new members of Congress to replace existing members because they just don't want to move this ball? I don't know that that's the case. I I think, obviously, there's a lot of factors going on. In fact, I thought we'd had it done by now, or at least out of committee by now this year, and I think we were on track to do exactly that until um, some of these higher-profile shootings recently just made it politically more difficult. And we want, and while you might suggest, well, who cares? I mean, right is right. The Constitution is the Constitution, and and that's true, and my vote doesn't change uh, depending on the recent issues in the newspaper at any given time, but for some it does. And so what we want to do is we want to be successful in this venture, not just you know make the point. Although I will tell you that uh, yeah, passing it in the House is a far far lot easier than passing it in the Senate will ever be. So, um, but I, I I hear you. I'm, I agree with you. I don't think the Constitution. Where Rob and I are just having this discussion about states' rights, the Constitution doesn't. Uh, you know, didn't it, it, the Constitution is quite clear about the right to bear arms? It's not a state's right issue at all. It's a federal um, right guaranteed in our Constitution. So um, I, I'm with you. I sense your frustration. I understand your frustration. But uh, we hope to get it done yet this term. Probably not Seven this o- year, but hopefully this term. Seven zero one two nine three nine thousand. If you want to ask the congressman a question, eight 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 nine seven zero nine three two nine. Email talk at WDAY.com. You know, going back to the marijuana issue for for a moment, I, I just saw a news article out of Hawaii. Now, the state of Hawaii has implemented medical marijuana policy. Uh, law enforcement there asking for citizens to uh, turn uh, voluntarily turn in their firearms because they're using an illegal drug under federal law. And that's, that's, I mean, basically what the ATF is saying is even people who are using marijuana in a way that's legal under state law are still violating the federal law and thus are giving up their rights to yeah. 
keep it bare arms. And there I, you I mean, have it's, it's the another example of how clumsy it is to have states' laws that that aren't you know yeah. that that aren't consistent with federal law because the federal government, one way or another, ha, you know, has a way whether it's overtly or or you know through a backdoor means like you've just described. Um, and let's not forget, I mean, you have ATF, we also have the DEA, and uh, you know, immigration issues, all kinds of things that that can be factored into all of this. Um, anyway, hey, I've just been made aware that the Judiciary Committee has taken up John's reciprocity bill today. So, Oh, wow, okay. Yeah. Well, that's that's that's. I would love to John. have waited a week and taken credit, but that would not that would have been less than <laughs> honest. <laughs> hey, well, you know, I, I've got what, Ronald Reagan had a plaque on his desk that said uh, you can make, uh, there's no limit to what a man can do if he doesn't care who takes, uh, who gets Amen. the credit. <laughs> Uh, all right, let's talk tax reform. Obviously, that's in the Senate chamber now, which is not your chamber. But can you handicap that for us? What are you seeing? What are you hearing out it's there? It's looking awfully good, Rob. Um, you know, there's a lot of interesting things happening. The Senate, and, and you don't hear me say this a lot, but the Senate's, I think, improving some things. I think that the initial the initial concern raised by Ron Johnson from Wisconsin and then later by Steve Daines from Montana was legitimate. While we, while the, our bill helps both corporate and, and uh, pass-through businesses be more competitive, it made the corporate side more competitive than the uh, pass-through side, which was an unfair, probably, advantage to create within your own business community. They're, they're working to fix that. I feel pretty good about that. Um, you know, they're dealing with a, a few other things that, that theirs does not, however, um, at least to this point, and we'll see what amendments come through, but doesn't allow the deduction of local property taxes. Ours does. That's, you know, I think that's a something better on our side. But I feel pretty good about it. You know, the one tricky thing, and it'd be interesting if, if your callers either today or, or next week we have some thoughts on this. One of the things that intrigues me is this issue of a sort of a deficit guardrail or a debt guardrail where if something doesn't go right or it doesn't generate the revenue that we had hoped it does by ge- generating economic activity or it doesn't measure up, um, you know whether there should be some trigger. I worry a little bit about that. I will tell you because I think that's why Congress is in session all the time is to address circumstances as they occur rather than have, you know putting some automatic trigger. Because what if there's a downturn in the economy that's outside of your control, or maybe there's a geopolitical issue or something like that? Do well, we want to really have a trigger that raises taxes, or do we want to have a trigger that automatically cuts the budget? Um, you know, cuts defense. We, we've already seen some problems with those kinds of things. I think that's one of their bigger issues that they're sort of getting through, Rob. But I will say this: that they all seem to be going in the right direction, and, and so we're encouraged by that. I, I can tell you, with our experience here in North Dakota with the oil tax, I think tying wild swings in the impact of taxes to, you know, forces that nobody really controls. Here, I mean, talking about the oil tax here in North Dakota, we had it tied to oil prices. Oil yeah. prices fall below a certain level. All of a sudden, the tax gets cut in half. That has huge implications for the industry. That has huge implications for the state government in terms of the revenues that they're collecting. It just seems like you're putting a time bomb. I mean, that seems like a good way to to embed a whole lot of of unpredictability into the tax code at a time when we're trying to make this simpler and more predictable. No, I think that's exactly right, Rob. And and don't get me wrong, I mean it's a noble purpose, you know, to, to I, I get the guardrails. But this is what we are in session all the time. In other words, unlike the state legislature, we we don't, we have unlimited number of days that we can be in session. And I just think it's sort of irresponsible, frankly, to put in automatic triggers when you have Congress. To yeah. deal with emergencies as they I don't, come up, I don't think I don't think those triggers are a uh, guardrail. I think those are a landmine. <laughs> last well up, said. last last question: uh, yeah. sexual harassment, obviously in the news, just 
endlessly these days in Congress. Talk of legislation about, you know, this this office where a lot of settlements were getting paid out of because we have a couple of members of Congress, including one uh, representative Conyers. Uh, who, uh, although I guess his his settlement didn't come out of that fund, I he guess his came budget, out of his, yeah, his, his office budget. Office but budget, yeah. there is that fund that creates. Have you heard? Are you considering backing any legislation to reform that process? Oh, for sure. In fact, we're passing some legislation this week, and then I think next week or the week after, sometime soon anyway, we're taking up further transparency legislation. Most current members of Congress weren't even familiar with that uh, fund, and I think the last time it was used, at least in any great way, was 2011. And and I'll just uh, we're still getting details about it, but most of it has nothing to do with sexual harassment. It has more to do with anthrax and um, you know exposure to things like that overtime for you know police officers, capital police officers, and things. So it's been a little bit blown out of proportion. But that's not to minimize a single uh, uh, claim that's you know that's sex, of sexual harassment. One is too many, um, but. Yeah, I absolutely we're looking at legislation that would correct some of that. And I think the other thing, Rob, I, th- I do think we need to put more than anything transparency on a lot of this. As I always say, transparency is the best is you know is the best backstop to corruption. Uh, as long as we are not putting victims in harm's way or doing things you know further victimizing victims, I think in terms of perpetrators, there ought to be full transparency. I agree with you, Congressman. That's it for today. Thanks. All right. Thanks, man. Bye, bye. Congressman Kevin Kramer will be back right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Port 970 WDY AM 93.1 FM 701-293-9000-888-970-9329 Email talk at WDY.com What's this caller want to know? He remembered that you mentioned that you had gotten some moose meat and we, used to, we used to almost live on moose meat. When yeah, we and he yeah. wants he wants to know if it's better than white-tailed deer. You know, I, I think so. I don't want to run down venison. Venison's really good. Um, but moose meat is is really good. Uh, we we had it all the time. Um, we actually, I, I think the best meat I've ever eaten in my entire life was we were moose hunting in the Alphabet Mountain Range in Alaska, um, and this was, I mean, this was back in the sticks. We had, it took us 13 hours on a track vehicle to get back to the little cabin. My grandfather built in the Alaskan outback before Alaska was a state. Um, it was, it was, it was totally an illegal cabin too. It was on federal land. Uh, the feds, I think actually just finally burned it down a few years ago. But, um, yeah, anyway, uh, we were kind of outlaws, but yeah, we were back there and we shot a, a couple of moose and we cut the tenderloins out right away. Uh, and we cooked them on a in an iron skillet at the camp. I don't think we seasoned them with anything but a little bit of salt and pepper. They were, I think, just about the best food I've ever eaten in my life. So, like, what's, what's the difference between moose it's and leaner. venison? Okay. I think it's leaner. Um, I, I think venison has a tendency to maybe be a little bit more gamier. Um, moose, a lot of people eat moose, and, and they think it's just really, really good beef. Um, like, really, really high-quality uh, low fat, lean beef. Um, it's good stuff. It's really good. I I like it. I like it. Now um, I'm hungry. Yeah. So anyway, there's your answer. And I don't, I'm probably totally biased. I I mean I could totally if if somebody told me they prefer deer meat, you know I wouldn't like call them crazy. I uh, you know I like venison too. But uh, so I don't know. Maybe it's just I'm I just from home. North Dakota. Although we have a lot of moose in the region now. There's a lot more moose in. I was just reading a report about that. There's a lot the moose population in this part of the the world. 
uh, has gone up, although it's still pretty hard to get a tag to hunt them around here. But up there, it used to be just a matter of going to the grocery store. There wasn't a lottery or anything. You wanted a moose tag, you went down to the grocery store and bought a tag. That was it. It's like It was like getting a fishing license. My dad had seven brothers, and when the freezer got empty, my, my grandma would send one of the boys out to shoot a moose, and then they'd clean the moose and fill the freezer up, and that was that. As oh, a world, we also had a fish wheel. You ever heard of that? No. That's why I can't eat salmon anymore. We had a fish wheel in the Golcana River, and it basically, or excuse me, the Copper River, uh, and it basically just, it's just a big wheel, and it's its powered by the water, and it just scoops up salmon out of the water oh, and dumps so them in a box. It's basically just a water wheel, but it catches salmon for it you. It catches fish. Yeah, catches salmon. Uh, we used to come over to school out to clean the salmon. That was our after-school chore. We had to clean salmon. And to this day, I can't eat salmon anymore. Um, we had salmon patties for breakfast and salmon sandwiches for you just, lunch. You just got over-salmoned? Too much salmon. <laughs> I mean, what, you know, I mean, the thing is, is like, it's not special anymore if you have it every day, right? I mean, salmon's kind of a treat in this part of the world because it's not, it's not really a regional. It's a little bit of a delicacy, right? Up there, it's like macaroni and cheese, right? Nothing special. Uh, Jay Thomas Show coming up next. You can catch me here every day, Monday through Friday, 12 to 2 p.m. on WDAY, 970 AM, 93.1 FM, or, of course, 24 hours a day, seven days a week at sayanythingblog.com. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again.